Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Good evening. Welcome to our Facebook live feed. I'm Pastor Mike Brunzel with Faith Fellowship Church, coming to you tonight again from my home in Taylorsville, Kentucky. Prayerfully, we're planning on having live services again next Wednesday night in person at Faith Fellowship Church, 7921 Third Street Road in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. Hallelujah. Well, I got a lot of stuff on my mind tonight. But I'm going to stick with the word. I'm just going to caution everyone. Don't believe everything you're hearing. Don't believe any of the news. And uh, like I said, I got a lot of things to say, but I'm going to wait till all this stuff is sorted out. And once it's sorted out and we figure out exactly what happened and what's going to happen and what's going on, then uh, maybe we can talk about it. But until then, everything that we would say or think right now is mostly speculation. Uh, I know a few people that are actually there at the uh, rally, and the, or was the rally. Our president asked them to come, go home now and, and leave in peace, and I think that's what most of them are going to do. That's what patriots do. And uh, we'll just see what transpires from this, and we'll talk about it then. Hallelujah. But I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28 tonight. We're going to continue our study on the authority of the believer, Brother Hagin's book I'm teaching from. Uh, this would be, I guess, part three. And before we do, let's pray the prayer that we've been studying. Father, I pray that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we may know what is the hope of your calling, what the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power to us, word, who believe according to the working of that mighty power which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, the fullness of all of all. And we thank you and we praise you for it. We look for that revelation and that wisdom to come tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 uh, in the New Living Translation, Jesus came, this is right before his ascension into heaven, uh, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he made it clear that he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And so when Christ ascended into heaven, he transferred his authority to the church. Uh, he's the head of the church. And believers, you and I, the church itself, make up his body. And Christ's authority has to be uh, perpetuated and exercised, in other words, kept alive through his body, the church, which is on the earth. 
And throughout Ephesians and other places in the epistles, Paul uses the, the human body as an illustration of the body of Christ. You'll see him refer to that several different times. And we'll even see it tonight. But Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father based on the prayer we just prayed and our study in Ephesians, the first chapter. We'll read it uh, here in a little bit. But the place of authority is on the right hand of God. And he's seated there. And the Bible says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. And to sit at the king's right hand is a great honor. And it means that the king has extended his authority to you and I. And uh, like I said, it's a place of great honor to be on the right hand of the king on high. And, and we died with Christ and we were raised with him. And this is not something God is going to do in the future. This has already happened. Uh, we, we died with him and we were raised with him. And we have to get the mentality that this has already happened. This is not something that we're looking forward to. There is another resurrection, but uh, spiritually speaking, we rose with Christ when he rose from the dead. So again, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 23, uh, this is the prayer that Paul prayed over the church. He prayed over you and I. And uh, this is the prayer that we've been studying. And it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, or you and I, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants us to be knowledgeable in the things of Christ and the things of God. And it's going to take a spirit of wisdom and revelation for that to happen. And that's why Paul prayed for it. And then in verse 18, he said, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. These are some of the things that he wants us to know. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, he demonstrated it in Christ, through Christ, when he raised him from the dead. That's when the power was displayed at its strongest when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So he's at the right hand of God. We're seated at, seated at his right hand. Again, the place of authority, the place of honor. And then he said, far above, not just above, but far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, uh, and then he said, uh, and every name that is named, sorry, I lost my place there for a second. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So this is an everlasting name, an eternal name, an eternal power that he has and authority. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. He's the head of the church. Everything about the church, he's the head. And then... Paul specifies, which is his body, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And so we're called the body of Christ. Of course, Christ is our head. But notice the 19th verse and what it, where he said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? In other words, there was such an overwhelming display of God's power uh, at the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that this actually was the mightiest work of God ever recorded in the Bible. 
There's a couple places where it talks about the finger of God, the hand of God, and the arm of God, the arm being the strongest display that we have. And it was the arm of God that caused the resurrection of Christ. So it took a little bit more strength than the finger and then the hand. He actually had to use his arm to get in there to raise Christ from the dead. And the resurrection was opposed by Satan and all of his little followers, all his cohorts. Uh, that was the last thing they wanted to see was the resurrection. But his forces were confused and defeated by Christ, who arose, ascended, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, far above them. That's the principalities and power and might and dominion that he's talking about. He's far above all them. And uh, Colossians 2.15 is interesting. It tells us that after his resurrection and, and some of the things that happened uh, when Christ spent three days in the bowels of the earth or actually in hell, it said, and he having spoiled principalities and powers, he, Christ, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Talking about his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. He, he made a show of them, triumphing over them in his death, burial, and, re and resurrection. That was the final nail in the coffin. Satan's coffin was the resurrection. Everything that Christ did was proved and, and proved out in the resurrection. The Message Bible says it this way. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. I like that translation. He marched them naked through the streets. And, and these are the same demonic powers that we are left to deal with here on the earth. But thank God Jesus has defeated them. And that's the mentality that we have to get. We have to get a victorious mentality. We're not, uh, uh, like I said before, we're not walking towards victory. We're walking from victory. And so we just have to walk our victory out. We just have to act like it's so and start walking in it. Because Jesus defeated them thoroughly and utterly. Others, other translations say that he put them to naught or he brought them to zero. He brought them to nothing. And another translation says that he actually paralyzed them. And so uh, yet believers still wrestle with demons that have been defeated, that have been brought to nothing, brought to zero, that have actually been paralyzed. And we still struggle with them and fight with them. Why? Because we're not walking in the authority that Christ gave us. And in ancient times, victorious kings would parade their captives through the streets and make a show of them opening when they, uh, openly. When they came home from their conquest, uh, all the captives, they would have chained together or tied together, and they'd walk them through the streets, and they'd parade them through the streets. And uh, I guess in modern-day vernacular, we would call it the walk of shame because that's what they were doing. They were shaming them as they walked them through the streets and showed them utterly defeated. And Jesus did this with the devil, according to Colossians 2.15. He did this with the devil and his cohorts, putting them on display after he defeated them. And that parade was observed in three realms, heaven, hell, and earth. So, you know, when the kings walked the earth, they just paraded them through the town that they, uh, where their throne was. But Jesus paraded them through all three realms, heaven, hell, and the earth. So he was showing the authority and the power that he had and the utter defeat of the devil and everything he stood for in all three realms. 
So God gave us this account in the scripture so uh, we in the world would know exactly what happened after Christ's resurrection. He doesn't want us to be unknowledgeable. He doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning these things. He's giving us the full picture here. But God wants us to know what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And not only that, but also the seating of Christ in heaven. He wants us to know that he has set Christ far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in, in this world, but also in that which is to come. And so this, the source of our authority is found in this resurrection of Christ and by the exalting of Christ by God. And in the 18th verse of the Ephesian prayer, Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding, our spirits, our hearts, might be open to these truths. Some translations say that our hearts would be flooded with light. And light is, is uh, synonymous with terms in the Bible like uh, truth. Uh, light can be translated truth, uh, understanding, revelation. And so this is what he wants us to have. He wants our hearts open to this revelation, to this understanding, to this knowledge. And that's why he prayed that we would have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And so he wanted all the churches, all the believers for all time to be enlightened, to be flooded with light, to have understanding and revelation and the truth of the authority of the believer. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know what our authority is. He, he doesn't want the devil walking all over us and, and conquering us in, on every turn. Uh, and so he wants us to have this understanding. In fact, most people, Preachers don't preach authority in Christ. You know, it's it's like a que sera, sera mentality. You know, whatever will be, will be. Just hold on to the end. Uh, you're going to make it and stuff like that. And that's great. But you know what? We're supposed to walk victorious in this life. Not victorious over your spouse, but victorious over your life and the things that you're responsible for. He wants us to have that victory. He wants us to exercise authority in these areas. And I'm going to show you what that is in a minute. But you never will understand the authority of the believer with uh, your intellect only or your mind. This goes deeper than the mind or the, or the intellect. You have to get the spiritual revelation of it, and then you have to uh, believe it and apply it by faith. You have to have a revelation in here. And, uh, you know, I've always said this before about meditating on scriptures. You know, uh, just as I was, you know, I said we should do as a homework assignment, read this prayer, you know, several times a day for a couple of weeks or so. And in my doing that, I've actually meditated on it enough to get it into my spirit where I can quote it verbatim. But I'm not quoting it from my head because six months, a year, two years from now, I'll still be able to quote that scripture because it's in my heart rather than my head. Your head forgets, but your heart doesn't. That's why it's so important to meditate Get the, get the word of God into your spirit, you know. Uh, David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So every time that David needs that word, it comes up out of his heart, not out of his forgetful mind or his forgetful head. So uh, we have to understand that authority and then believe it by faith. Then over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it says, And you, you and I, the church, hath he quickened, another word for that is made alive, hath he made alive 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. Did you know you were dead in trespasses and sins? And then he said in verse two, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This is before you got born again, before you were enlightened. And he said in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan and his principalities and his dominion and his might, all the things that Christ defeated, all the things that Paul wants us to have a revelation of. And, and it's sort of like a golf course. You know, you started at hole one, and then you, you follow the course, and you go to the second hole, and the third hole, and the fourth hole, and the fifth hole, and then you get to the, I don't know, you get a break. I don't, it's not the clubhouse, but they have a place where you take a little break. And Anyway, you follow this course until you get to the 18th hole, and you're back at the clubhouse. So that's kind of like what Satan did. He laid out a course for us, and we were unknowingly following that course until we found Jesus and we were enlightened, we got born again, and now we're not following that course anymore. Uh, the children of disobedience are described as following that course. And we're no longer the children of disobedience like we once were when we were dead in trespasses and sins. And then in verse 3 it says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust or the desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others again this is before we were born again before we were enlightened but but god i, I love to see that phrase in the bible it's in several places but god i'm telling you uh, every time it says but god something good is about to happen but in other words had it not been for god we'd still be walking that course We'd still be lost. We'd still be living according to the desires and the lusts of our flesh. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, talking about spiritual death, we're born in the spiritual death. We walk in the course of the devil and, and we're living a spiritually dead life. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, hath made us alive uh, together with Christ. And then he said, by grace, you are saved. He throws that little reminder in there to say, it's nothing that you did. It's by the grace and, uh, and mercy and love of God that we're saved. And then verse six, it says, and hath raised us up together. Okay, so understand this now. We were quickened or made alive with Christ, together with Christ, and now he's saying that we were raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, me and Christ, you and Christ are like this. That's the resurrected life. That's, that's when you were born again. And, and uh, we were made alive together. We were raised together. And, and now we were made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, verse 7, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, ever since I got born again a number of years ago, I ain't been seeing nothing but the grace and the kindness of God towards us. Hallelujah. 
So in the first verse we read, And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, according to the working of the strength of his might, when he raised him from the dead, and you, when you were dead. So again, he's talking about us being raised with Christ, and it talks about the strength of his might. Like I said, it took the arm of God to rock salvation into, into the world, uh, because when he raised Christ from the dead, he raised you and I from the dead. He raised everyone that was going to become a born-again believer, everyone that was going to become a child of Christ from the time of Christ till the end of uh, when Jesus comes back to the earth. So he had a heavy load on his arm. He was raising the whole world, everybody that would ever be born again. He's raising them from the dead at the same time he was raising Christ. And then you see the same verb in Ephesians 1.20. It expresses the reviving of Christ from the dead, expresses the reviving of his people of the church. Again, when, we, when he was raised, we were raised. <clears throat> so in other words, the act of God that raised Christ from the dead also raised his body from the dead. He's the head and we're the body. And so he raised the body from, from uh, death as well. So in the mind of God, when Jesus raised, uh, when God raised Christ from the dead, we were raised with him, even from the foundations of the world, even before he raised Christ from the dead. In God's mind, we were being raised with him. That's how God thinks. He's a right now God. He's not a, a, a past God. He's not a future God. He's a present right now God. And so uh, then further in the second chapter, we read, even when we were dead in sins, he hath made us alive together with Christ and hath raised us up together. Notice the us's and the togethers and, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this passage deals with the conferring or the bestowing of his power on the body. So notice that the head, Christ, and his body, the church, were raised together. And this authority was conferred not only upon the head, God not only conferred that authority upon Christ as the head, but also upon the body because the head and the body are one. So most churches are willing to believe, for example, that We've been raised up together with Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We've been raised up together with Christ. But then they have a hard time believing that we've been made to sit together with him. And if part of this verse is so, then the whole verse is so. God won't give us a half truth. Amen. And so, you know, my son Mike once said at church, he's preaching and he said that, uh, I don't understand why people look up when they pray. Because if we're seated together in heavenly places with Christ, then you should be looking to the left when you pray. Amen? And so that was the mentality Mike was trying to convey. You have to have the mentality that we are, present tense, seated together in heavenly places with Christ at his right hand, the place of authority. But let me give you another example of what I'm talking about, where people will take one part of a scripture and accept it readily, but won't accept the other part of the scripture. Psalms 103, verse 3 says, 
He forgives all my sins. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I accept that in Jesus' name. Thank you for forgiving my sins. But then he says, and heals all my diseases. Now, wait a minute. I don't know about that healing stuff because I think that healing stuff was done away with, with the, the apostles. And no, he said that he forgives all my sins, present tense, and heals all my diseases, present tense. Take the whole scripture or leave it but don't split it up. He has healed you as much as he has forgiven you. Amen. Selah. When I say Selah, it means think about it, meditate on it. But most people believe the first part, but have a hard time with the second part. And that's the same thing with what I was talking about here in uh, Ephesians. You know, we believe we've been raised together with him, but we have a hard time uh, believing that we've been made together to sit with him in heavenly places. So if the church ever gets the revelation that we are the body of Christ, then we'll rise up and do the works of Christ. Until now, we've been doing them, but on a limited basis. So when we realize that the authority that belongs to Christ also belongs to us as members of the body of Christ and is available to us, our lives will definitely be changed. And uh, we won't tolerate all the stuff that the devil is throwing at us because we'll realize that we don't have to take it. We have authority over the devil and all his little demonic forces and all his influences. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 14, and then 27, uh, describes the body of Christ. It says, for as the body is one, this is one body right here, and hath many members, I got many members, fingers, hands, arms, toes, legs, knees, many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body. Even though there's many members in my body, I'm still just one body, I'm one person. And then he says, so also is Christ. So we are Christ, it says, he's calling the body, which is the church, Christ. Paul just called the body, the church, Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So the church, being many members, makes up one body, the body of Christ. And then in verse 27, he says that exactly. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So there's no doubt about the church being the body of Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, he says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or the devil, or what part hath he that believes with an infidel or an unbeliever? So the believer is called righteous, the unbeliever unrighteousness. The believer is called light, the unbeliever darkness. The believer is called Christ, the unbeliever is called the devil. So 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So we are one with Christ. We are seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. All things have been put under our feet. 
Why do I say our feet? Because we're the body. Christ is the head. We make up the body. So if the enemy has been put under the feet of Christ, he's been put under the feet of the church. He's been put on the, the feet of the members of the church. All these members that are one body, are members in particular that make up one body, the devil's under our feet. And that's where he should stay. And so the trouble with us is that we've only preached a cross religion. And we need to preach a throne religion. In other words, people have thought that they were supposed to remain at the cross. If you remember my Christmas message, I said that uh, a lot of people come to the manger, the little babe in Christ laying in the manger, and stayed at the manger. But now he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's time to move on from the manger, the manger and the little babe of Christ and come to the feet of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's grown up, and we need to grow with him. And it's the same thing with the cross here. Yes, we need to come to the cross for salvation, but we don't need to remain there. We need to move on to Pentecost, then the ascension, and then the throne. And so in one sense, the cross is actually a place of defeat, whereas the resurrection is a place of triumph. When you preach the cross, you're preaching death, and you leave the people in death if you stop there. And we died all right, but we were raised together with Christ. So we need to go beyond the cross, and we need to come to the resurrection, and we need to preach not only Christ crucified, but also Christ resurrected. So we're seated with him positionally, and that's where we are right now. We're seated with Christ in the place of authority in heavenly places. We're seated with him positionally in heaven. And Brother Hagen says, many Christians know nothing about the authority of the believer, and they really don't believe we have any authority. He said they believe that we're barely saved, and they must go through life struggling with and being dominated with the devil. That's a defeatist attitude. And we're supposed to have a victorious attitude, an attitude of authority. But they magnify the devil more than they do God. I've heard people talk about the devil. Oh, the devil this, the devil that. Uh, he's got my kids on drugs. He's caused my husband to lose his job and this and that and that and this. And it all glorifying the devil. Never mind what the devil did. What did Christ do? Magnify God. And the more you magnify God, what does it mean to magnify? Like taking a magnifying glass and looking at something, it just makes it look bigger and, 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 and broader. And so if we magnify God, then everything around that magnifying glass is going to look smaller and smaller. And that's what it's saying here. We need to magnify God more and the devil less. So anyway, we, we, we magnify the devil more than we do God. And uh, we hang around the cross and walk in uh, the death of the cross rather than walking in the newness of life and walking in the resurrection. See, we're not at the cross anymore. We died with Christ, yes, but it also says that we were raised with him. Hallelujah. So we're buried with Christ, but now we're not in the grave anymore. Uh, we sing that song at church. We're going to walk right out of that grave. I don't know about walking. I think we're going to run right out of that grave. But that's what happened when you were born again. You rose with Christ and you ran right out of that grave. Don't look back at it. Forget about it. It's gone. You ain't never going to face that grave again. And, and so we rose with him and now we have to look at the throne. We're seated 
in heavenly places with Christ, the place of authority. And so the right hand of the throne of God is the center of power for the whole universe, heaven, hell, and the earth, the heavens, the hell, and the earth. And exercising the power of the throne was committed to the resurrected Lord. God gave him that job. And and we know that Christ with his resurrected physical body is there in heaven in possession of his rights, awaiting the Father's time when his enemies shall be made his footstool. Again, where's the foot? On the body. Hebrews 1.13 says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so the elevation of Christ's people with him into the heavenly clearly clearly points to the fact that we are to be seated with him, sharing not only his throne, but also his authority, the authority that he conveyed upon us, conferred upon us, or bestowed upon us as the church. And no wonder Paul said in writing to the Romans, in Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense spiritual death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Several translations, including the Amplified, say it like this, they shall reign as kings in life. See, Christ is a king again. He's not a baby in a manger. He's not hanging on the cross. He's a resurrected Christ, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, assuming his position that he had in the beginning uh, and taking back his heavenly attributes and uh, his eternal weight and glory that he laid aside to come down here. He picked that back up now. He's seated as a king. And so we are to reign as kings in this life. And are we just going to reign when we get to heaven? No, we're going to reign right here as kings in life by Christ Jesus. Now that's authority. Whatever the king said was law. He was the last authority in all matters. And we partake of the authority that Christ's throne represents. And some of us have exercised a little more authority over the powers of the air than others. Uh, We have a little more spiritual comprehension, but God wants all of us to have that same spiritual comprehension. The Holy Spirit prayed through Paul that we all might have wisdom, understanding, and authority over the demonic powers and the powers and the problems they create through their constant manipulation of men's minds. I know I'm running a little bit late, but uh, bear with me a couple more minutes. This is going to be really good because uh, that means that we have power or authority over every demonic influence power and authority over our mind, power and authority over our will, power and authority over our emotions, and power and authority especially over our physical bodies. That's the authority that Christ gave us in the spiritual realm. We are to reign as kings in this life, and it starts with you. And it seems like it's the most difficult thing in the world for the church to stay balanced. And, uh, you know, you can take any subject, whether it's healing, deliverance, prosperity, even what I'm teaching tonight, and you can take it to an extreme. Uh, And it becomes harmful or it ceases to be a blessing. And that's what we've done with a lot of different doctrines of Christ. Uh, There was a minister, for example, Brother Hagin shared this story in his book. 
a minister that came to be known as Father Divine. And he was once saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, had the real thing. He was doing a wonderful work for God. And then he began studying these very scriptures that we've been studying. And he reasoned within himself that if we are Christ, then I am Christ. If Christ is God, then so am I God. And as a result, he founded a cult that was very popular and caused people to worship him. That's getting off to an extreme. You know, Brother Hagen always said there's a road and there, there's a ditch on each side. Well, he was on he was in the ditch on one side of the road. And Brother Hagen says, stay in the middle of the road. Stay out of the ditches that way. You know, don't get to one extreme or the other extreme, but be balanced. Stay balanced. And that's something that the church has had a hard time over the centuries doing is staying balanced. That's why we have so many denominations and so many religions and stuff. One guy said it's this ditch. Another guy said it's that ditch. But the true church of God just keeps going forward down the center of the road. But uh, so let's let's try to maintain balance, stay in the middle of the road, not get off in extremes. You know, this ain't like where you go around and, and demanding demons to do things and people to do things. This just means that you have authority over them, uh, beginning with your life and the life of those that you're responsible for. John Alexander Dowie, a Scotsman who received a revelation about divine healing while ministering before the turn of the century in Australia, he crossed the ocean many times in his lifetime. He encountered a lot of storms, but said every time a storm came up, he did what Jesus did. He rebuked the storm and it always ceased. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'll be real honest with you. That's that's a, a uh, uh, based on scripture, you know, and we shouldn't be amazed by this. We should expect that to happen because Jesus said, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto the Father. Now, let me tell you something. Did Jesus calm the storms? Amen. He spoke to them and calmed them. So it's not too far off in the ditch for us to do the same thing. I've done it before. My wife has done it before. And uh, <laughs> I have to be honest, it didn't always work for me, but sometimes it did. Sometimes the storm was calm. Sometimes that, that tornado missed us by a little bit, you know. And I, I just have to believe that it's because I spoke to it. It's because I believed in my heart that it would miss me or, or the storm would go off in another direction. Uh, my wife always prays and tells it to go out over the ocean or over the lake or somewhere where they need water, you know. And, and uh, we actually pray like that. But uh, again, somebody would say, well, you're in the ditch. No, not really, because Jesus prayed. He was our example. He prayed like that. But someone will ask what the greater works are. And I already know what they are, and I'll just give you a hint. It has to do with all the little Christs that are running around in the earth. Because every time somebody gets born again, uh, that's another uh, gospel preacher, somebody going out into the earth to do the works of Christ. So just on a sheer volume basis, we're going to do greater works than he did. On an individual basis, no, it will never happen. But on a, a, a uh, looking at the larger scope of the church itself, the body of Christ now, when he was on the earth, he could only be in one place at one time. But now his body is all over the, the earth doing work. So greater works shall you do because there's more of us doing it. But anyway, let's get the let's just get the basic works down pat before we worry about doing greater works anyway. 
Jesus didn't say that only a select few would do these works. He said they that believe on him would do these works. And, you know, as we study what the word of God teaches and educate our spirits about the authority of the believer, I believe we'll be able to walk in, in, in this great truth more and more as we continue to meditate on it and we can continue to realize that, you know, we've left the manger, we've left the cross, and uh, we've been resurrected. And not only that, but now we've been lifted and seated together with him in heavenly places, the place of authority. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We believe that prayer that we prayed at the beginning of this service tonight, that we will have all the things that Paul prayed for us, and we will walk in those things. We'll have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We'll understand the, the uh, power of Christ towards us, and we'll begin to walk in that authority that Christ has given us, that God has given him, that he's conferred upon the church, his body, upon each of us as individual believers, and we'll begin to exercise it in our lives. No longer will a stinking cigarette uh, influence, no longer will a drink, uh, uh, drugs, or uh, perverted pornography, or anything else. We have authority over these demonic influences, and it's time that we start walking in them and exercising those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you might think that's an extreme prayer, but I'm telling you, the next time that, uh, like Paul was talking about, those lustful desires come upon you, exercise your authority over them, and you watch them. The Bible says, re, uh, resist the devil, and he will flee. One, one translation said he'll flee and tear. Amen. So just try it. Just start exercising authority over your own life, and then you can move on to the bigger things later. Amen. God bless you. We love you. See you Sunday morning about 11 o'clock. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.